Well, hello there. Welcome to Wednesday at noon. Glad that you're here with us. And today we got something really special. We're taking it old school back to the flannel graph because we're going to heaven, baby. And we're going to see what it's like today on The Deep End. Yes, it is the deep end, Wednesday at noon, here in the studios at John Deach Square in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. My name is Tim, your host as always. Welcome in, Facebook watchers, YouTube live watchers, we're everywhere and anywhere where you are. So glad to have you. Welcome in, Chris. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. So many of you know Chris from our church here in North Attleboro, Waters Church, our Director of Pastoral Care. Hello, how are you? I'm doing pretty well today, yeah. yeah. Well, welcome in. Glad so, to have you back on the deep end. Appreciate it. It's great to be here. A little cold today, but we're getting cold. through. Yeah. It is cold. December. December. Right. What else do we expect? Not much in New England, no. But it is holiday season, and how was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was great, and then I went over to my family's. Oh. That's, that's my line. That's oh, what that's I've been right. telling you. My <laughs> Thanksgiving was great, and then I went over yeah. and hung out with my family. Yeah. I show up with my Tupperware. They fill it. And then I leave. So, yeah. yeah, it's great. Hey, that's good. I get food, you know. Can I come with my Tupperware? Yeah, anytime. Because I think <laughs> maybe I'll take you up on that offer. I'm not sure. It depends what year. If your mom's cooking or your wife's cooking, I'm sure, you, you know, <laughs> you're happy with that. Yeah. Well, it is uh, December. It is the holiday season. And it is getting to the end of the year, Chris. Oh, almost there, yeah. And so big things are happening always at the end of the year. Mm. Most notably, in the news today, this is what we're talking about, which is every year we go, well, not we, America goes through this, or right. not even America, like the few people who actually pay attention to Time Magazine go through this. Yeah. Happened yesterday, I think. Happened yesterday. Yeah. Times Person of the Year. Times Person of the Year. Used to be Man of the Year. Used to be Man of the Year. And that wasn't not, good. Not they gender. Changed that. Yep. Yeah. Right. We want to make sure that it's gender inclusive. And But they can't now even stick to a person. I don't think yeah, they've done like that persons. in a while. Persons or groups of their, yeah. So what, what, what's the story? You were telling me about this earlier today. What's the story? Times Person of the Year. Well, I saw it on the news uh, yesterday, and they were still debating about who was going to be in it. So it was that, um, that reporter who was killed in the embassy, Jamal, I forget his last name, I can't pronounce Kashogi. it. Thank you. Kayashogi. The Gazette, all of the Gazette who endured a mass murder or a mass shooting um, and a few other persecuted journalists. So there's four covers. There were four different groups of persons. So let me get this straight. Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not demeaning what the journalist experienced, but a sure. magazine produced by journalists. Right. <laughs> yes, here we go. Named with that. a bunch of journalists. Yeah. Persons the, of the year. Well, what's really interesting for us is the word that they're using is persecuted. They were persecuted, so that's why, you know. And, How many died? Um, not that that's. That doesn't mean that they're One right? that I'm aware of. I'm I know not the sure guy, on the Jamal. shooting. Yeah, he, yeah, he was died. killed, you know, and that's a big controversy with Trump and everything. It was in the, yeah. you know, but um, at least one. I think maybe a few more in the mass shooting. I'm not sure about the Gazette mass yeah. shooting, to be honest. Terrible things. Sure, sure. You do not revel in anybody else's anybody's No, and, and they call them defenders of truth. Um, but these days, news is so relative on what is truth. Well, that's the knows. thing. I mean, they call themselves defenders of truth, but they're the ones saying we're the defenders of truth. I'm right. always yeah. a little bit like, hey, wait a second, prove it. Yeah. <laughs> you Where's know? your source? Give you me got your source. The, well, also, if you've got the truth, well, what, what, you know, kind of gives you that, 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 that what do you call it? The, uh. Uh, confirmation that yeah. what you're saying is true. What's, what's standard? Because yeah. I, when I watch the news, and I don't know if our watchers or listeners have the same experience, but when I watch the news, it's literally channel by channel what's true. Sure. <laughs> so one channel says this is true. The other channel uh, says the exact opposite is true. Well, especially with Fox and CNN, of course, yeah. This is the world that we live in. Yeah. You know, the scriptures actually talk about this as truth is cast out into the streets. That's where we are as a culture. Yeah. Where we just, oh, it's true. Why? Because we reported it. Live your, <laughs> live your truth. We hear that all the time, and too. This, yeah, and yeah, my truth. Yeah. Oh, man, I hate that buzzword. Oh, my truth. What no. the heck is that? No. What the, and I think what they mean is my story. Yeah. Like, this is my story, which is true. And yes, it is. Is your story the truth? Well, no. Don't be so full of yourself. I sure. Mean. <laughs> yeah, really. It was only one only truth. Only one person who said I was the truth. I mean, Amen. your story is true, and your story matters, and your story is important, but 
Yeah, there's only one truth. Yeah. And I think that that's, a, you know, that's an important reason why you come into the deep end every single week and you tune in, listen in, whether you're listening or watching. If you're watching, we're glad. If you're listening, we're glad. However you get this material. Mm. But what is true? And the thing about time, when, when we were talking about this, like when it comes to person of the year, right. look at the past. Oh, they've made some horrific yeah. mistakes. I mean, Stalin, Hitler, um, 1979, I forget his name. He was, he was a Muslim. A Muslim um, dictator of some dictator, sort. Dictator, yes. Who, but we're talking about mass murderers of the most yeah. evil kind person. The, now, to Time's defense, they say they, they pick the person that makes the most news, positive or negative. And that's oh. what they said about Trump two years ago when he was the... You know the the time person of the year. That's the line they use. So positive well. or negative? Positive, positive. But I'm sorry, those four people or those four covers that you have on your. I don't know any of them. I've heard about the one in the embassy. The others, where have they made a huge amount of impact in the news? Because I don't really. I haven't heard their stories. Yeah, that I haven't often, heard them so. They're not I think it's their truth. But I think a journalist is like an umpire in baseball. If you don't know their name, they're doing a good job. Yeah. It's good. when, it's when yeah. you find out their name that they, well, they've either uncovered like a, you know, top level secret in the White House. Like when you think about um, Watergate, uh, Watergate, yeah. uh, Bob Woodward. Right. You know, kind of that his name became famous because of that. Sure. But then, uh, or something like this. And then you hear about their name or someone who uh, is, li- is held li- responsible for libel of some sort or false right. reporting, you know. So it's just funny because we get all upset or not upset, but all worked up over who's person of the year. And right. they come and they go. And what does it matter? There's really only one person of every year. The Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and that brings us to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. All right. Well, Revelation. We are in chapter four of the book of Revelation. And in chapter four of the book of Revelation, and we got, we got some... Uh, flannograph art to get to in just a moment. But when we get to Revelation chapter 4, we've been through the churches, Revelation Mm -hmm. chapter 2 and 3. Well, backing up even further, Revelation 1, Isle of Patmos, John the Apostle, the Revelator, they call him. He's getting the revelation on the island of Patmos, exiled there for political reasons. The gospel is a political movement in some respects in that it upsets the political power structures of the day. Chapters 2 and 3, Jesus confronts his church, edifies his church, challenges his church. Chapter 4, we are in heaven. That's where we are. Chapter 4, we are in heaven. And I don't know about you, but I think we need a little bit more heaven on earth. Don't don't you agree, Belinda Carlisle? Let's hear it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, I love that song. Heaven is a place on earth. That's what they're saying. <laughs> well, that's what she said. Okay. I don't know if they say it, but her and her choir are saying it. But heaven is a place on earth. Well, let's talk about heaven today. Revelation chapter four. And I'm really excited about this chapter because this chapter is going to tell us what heaven is like. Okay. And what is heaven like? The very first verse. If you've got your Bible open, you don't have to have it open. I'll read it to you. But the very first verse tells us where we're going in chapter 4 of Revelation. After this, John says, after this, after the Jesus after Jesus challenges his churches, I looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, that's back in chapter 1, said to me now, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. What a cool moment for John. He is getting an invitation to heaven. Um, I'm thinking if I get that invitation, I'm taking it. Yeah. What about you? I, I, yes, please. <laughs> please. So he's in heaven and he's in heaven to give us perspective. And perspective, friends, is what Revelation is all about. And I said it in the very first week of the Deep End podcast this season on Revelation. I'll say it again. What is Revelation about? Revelation is about seeing what is most real seeing what is most real. And so you've got your world out there with your time person of the year and who's in the Oval Office and who's in your congressional office and who's running your life and who's your boss and who's this and who's against you and all that kind of stuff. But there's something that's more real than all of that. And what is more real than all of that is the fact that there's a throne in heaven and someone is seated on that throne and he is 
our Savior. He is our God. Yeah. And that's why I love the book of Revelation. And this is why you've got to read the book of Revelation, because it is for your encouragement. As scary as it can be when it gets to the judgments, the book of Revelation is not supposed to be avoided. We talked about this in week one, that it says right there on the first page, blessed is the one who hears these words of prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads them and understands them. And so there's a blessing to having the book of Revelation taught, heard, believed, received, and also, most importantly, get internalized. You want to internalize this. You don't want to just read it as if it's like some ancient book. You want this to get into your spirit. And so speaking of spirit, look at the very next verse, which John says, he says in verse two, at once, as soon as the, as soon as the voice, like the trumpet said, come up here, it says, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And this is the first thing we have to note about John's experience in the book of Revelation is that he is in the spirit. In the Spirit is the only way you understand what the Spirit teaches through the Word of God. Think about this very carefully. The Scriptures teach that the Scriptures themselves are the inspired Word of the living God. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, right? So the Spirit, literally God-breathed, or uh, theos pneumatos in the uh, Greek, God breathed scriptures that only spirit-born people can understand. Oh, that's good, yeah. You know, there's a lot of Christians out there that get frustrated because people don't understand their faith, they don't understand why they're Christian, they don't understand the things of the thing, the things of God that are important to them, and it's a very simple explanation why that is so because they the people who are not born again of the spirit cannot discern or understand or appreciate the things the spirit gives. And so this, we actually talked about this last season on the deep end when we went to 1 Corinthians. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when Paul says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And in verse 11, he says, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So when you approach the book of Revelation, it is going to be gobbledygook. <laughs> unless you are in the Spirit. And how do we get in the Spirit? We get in the Spirit through the way John comes into the Spirit right here, through the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying to you, even if you're not a Christian, guess what? You can become a Christian. you got to listen to the words of Jesus. Come. I'm opening the door to heaven, and you have an opportunity to come in and receive from me spiritual truth that will help you discern the times, the age, the spirit of the age, your life, the world, your nation, and you will be able to cons- and you will be able to discern what is most real. Let me ask you a question, listener. Does the Bible make sense to you? Does the Bible make sense to you? And I'm not asking you, do you understand everything in the Bible? That's not my question. A lot of the Bible is mysterious. I even still to this day, and I've been teaching the Bible for 20 years professionally. Still studying, still learning. Still learning. Still, yeah. I pass over text and I say, I have no idea what that means. Yeah. I'm going to move on. But what I'm saying to you is, what I am asking you is, does it make sense to you as the Bible is unpacked, as it is taught to you, and as it does become more clear to you, that you just say, yeah, that resonates. That gets in here. Right. And I think about this, that that is such a test of are you born again? Are you a Christian or are you not? If you're not a Christian, I don't expect anything to really make sense to you. Uh, some things, because I, I think that there's this leftover residue of the image of God in all flesh, whether they're Christian or not. Sure. And so that's why there's something called, the theologians call it common grace. Um, non-believers think murder is wrong. Right. right. Ma- non-believers think rape is wrong. Thankfully. Yeah. Non-believers think stealing is wrong. Yep. Common grace. Yeah. But when we get to the text of the Bible and we start to dig into it and we start to see things that would be conf- confrontational to the natural mind, to the normal, I guess you would say American or whoever, that if it's not actually resonating with you, check your spell, check yourself there because you know you might, might not be to, born again. Might need to repent, come to Christ, let the Holy Spirit come in and start to make sense mm. of what you hear taught in the Word. And so, what does John see? Look at this, the great verse here again, verse two. As at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And Chris, I've been waiting for this segment. Yep, going old school. I know it's coming. The flannel graph. Flannel graph. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me. 
the flannel graph. Chris, you weren't raised in church, but have you ever seen one of these things? Um, the first time I actually saw one was at the Old Water Church building. <laughs> to be honest, I'm sorry, but yeah. Well, I was raised on the flannel graph. Yeah. You know, if you really want to get saved, you need to go back to the flannel graph. Okay. <laughs> Going back. Uh, Michael, you were raised in the church. Did you yeah. ever see the flannel graph? You did. Oh, yeah, all and the time. All the time, yeah. And how old are you? How old are you? 28. 28, so yeah, I'm 42, 28. Yeah, it was, it was huge for a long time. Yeah. Still is, apparently. This is the beauty of the flannel graph, is that you can just <laughs> take stuff off and you can just stick it back on, like Jesus. Like, remember Swedish Jesus? <laughs> this is Swedish Jesus. We talked about him on Sunday, right? Jesus didn't look like this, okay? Just want to let you know. He was Middle Eastern. He wasn't um, Norwegian, okay? But <laughs> this is what you would do. You just put things up here, and they would illustrate this for kids. And I mean, I was raised on this stuff. I used to love the flannel graph. Well, we thought we'd bring it to the deep end. So welcome to the deep end's flannel graph segment. And what we're going to talk about, and the reason why we're doing this segment, is because we want to talk about the throne, and, and here's what we're talking about when it comes to the throne. Chris, we need to remind ourselves, and this is why we come to the book of Revelation, mm. that the throne is above all others. Yeah. Jesus is on the throne. Whatever is over you, good news, Jesus is over that. Right. Right? And so let's go through the list. What's Jesus over? Well, what, you know, what do we have going. in our lives that are stressful? That's always, uh, I know we, have, we all have a boss. Right. Okay, yeah, we all have a boss. All right, all so yep, boss. Jesus is over your boss. There we go. I, I have a boss. Yeah, you have a boss. Yeah. You have a great boss. Yeah, I do, I do have a great he's, boss. He's nothing to be worried about. And there. above him is an even greater <laughs> boss. No. Yeah, um, what, what else have we got? Well, we got, you, I guess above all that, you've got, you've got everything else, the world, the planets, space the world. itself. Here we go. Yeah, oh, he's the world. above the world. See? And then he's oh, prepared. He's even above... Space. Space itself. Ooh, this is the modern flannel graph. Look at how cool these pictures are. I was not raised with cool pictures like this on a flannel graph. No. They were all weird. Uh, how about the government? For those of you who freak out on Facebook about what politician did what, when, yeah. where, and why, and how. I mean, there you go. He is above the government, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe there's some people in school right now, and you're, like, stressed. Finals. Mm. Maybe finals are over. Finals, though. There's finals authority over? there. Principal. Nobody here is in school. Well, no. Save this thought for May, because <laughs> he's, over your, he's over your school. And we were talking about this earlier. He's over the, pe the people. All that, the people in oh, time. Oh, Don't worry about it. That's the beauty of the flannel graph. You can just pick it up and stick it right back on. There we go. He's over the people that everybody thinks are so important. There we go. So the flannel graph, ladies and gentlemen. And we're looking at the throne, and we're reminded when we go to Revelation chapter 4, we are reminded someone's on the throne, and it's not these people, it's Jesus. He's on the throne, and he is God the Son, and if he is for you, who can be against you, right? Yeah. So that's where we're going. Let's go back to the text. Um, Revelation chapter 4, and Jesus, I'm sorry, and John sees Jesus, and he's seated on the throne, and it says here in verse 3, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Okay, now, I said it was Jesus on the throne, and he is, but also I think you need to see that God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. I believe this is God the Father on the throne Okay. in, in chapter 4, just, just in chapter 4. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about where Jesus is on the throne yeah. in a moment. But in Revelation 4, this is the Father on the throne. Lots of details that are we could run past them or we could investigate them a little further. So he says, first off, he's got the appearance of Jasper Carnelian. Uh, around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Three stones are mentioned. Jasper refers to, uh, it's, a, it's a translucent rock or crystal. You could actually say it was like a diamond in the first century. Right. So this refers to God's holiness. He's, he's translucent. Oh, There's nothing coloring him. There's nothing tainting him. He is completely holy. The second stone is named Carnelian. Uh, this is the, um, uh, this is a very, actually, all the descriptions that I read, blood red stone. And this speaks to two things. Number one, it speaks to the fact that the father is willing to give up the blood of his son to bring people into his presence. And so it speaks to the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus. And it also speaks to the judgment of God, that blood in the Bible 
refers to judgment constantly. You know, whenever sin was made, sin was committed, they would bring a sacrifice to the temple, and the blood of the sacrifice would atone for the judgment of God, would cover for the judgment of God. And so you have the blood of Christ represented, the blood or the judgment. And if you think about this too, and Christians don't even think about this, when were your sins judged? Because all sin must be judged. And if you're a Christian, your sins were judged at the cross. Yeah. Jesus bore your judgment. He who knew no sin became sin in order that in us in order that the righteousness of God might be in us. And so we receive righteousness, he received judgment, and then emerald is of course was what color is emerald? Green. Green, right? Green represents the earth. And so what you have here is someone on the throne who is totally holy, uh totally just in his judgments. And he is sovereign over the affairs of the earth. The earth is his. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord, Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in. And so what you have is a picture of God the Father. But notice that, G, that John doesn't say, well, he kind of looked like an old man with white hair. And right. he kinda, you know, <laughs> like, there's never a definition of God. There's never a description of God the Father in the scriptures that show us what he looks like personally. Right. Uh, you know, we cannot see, the scriptures even say, that we cannot see God. First uh, Timothy 6, 16 says, he alone who has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. You can't see God. Now, the big question, and this is where unbelievers really stress, you know, why can't I see God? If only I could see God. Even Philip, who walks with Jesus for three years, says to him in John chapter 14, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says to Philip, have you not been with me this whole time, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, but the God, the Father, visibly is not seen outside of the representation of Jesus Christ. And the reason why this is so important the reason why we cannot see God is because of idolatry. Hmm. The moment that we have a picture of God, we form an idol out of it and say, that's who God is, that's what he's like, and he's like nothing else. Right. And this is why God forbids, um, in the second commandment, images. You can't make an image representing me. A lot of people think that images, the second commandment refers to idols that represent other gods. No, that actually... That commandment refers to God's prohibition of God's people making an image that represents him. Yeah, putting him in a box. Putting yeah. him in a box. That's the great, that's a modern way of saying it. And so idolatry is when we take God and we limit him to what we think he is like. And here's the other thing. Anything that we could see that we could say, man, that looks like God, immediately robs God of who he ultimately is. Sure. Because God is beyond our comprehension. He is beyond our understanding. He is beyond what we can fathom. So in that sense, God has to be unseen by us. He has to be the invisible, immortal God who dwells in un inapproachable light because we are human. We are finite. And I say this to our church all the time. There is a, a bunch of mystery in the scriptures. There's a bunch of mystery in Christian theology. There's the mystery of God is one in three persons. Is it three or is it one? It's both. Right. I don't understand that. That's right. You're not supposed to understand it. You're <laughs> supposed to believe it by faith. The mystery of Jesus being God this God in human flesh and yet fully divine. He's fully human. He's fully divine. I don't understand that. That's right. You don't understand it. You receive that by faith. <laughs> right. There's a mystery to it. Uh, how about this one? This is another one. This one. This is one. This is a mystery that Christianity basically divides over uh, now for 2,000 years. Uh, do we come to faith or does God sovereignly bring us to faith? The answer is yes, right. both and. I mean, it doesn't have to be either or. And I think you've got scriptures, and this is why we can segregate and divide on these things and become denominations and little, little groups of Christians, little tribal groups of Christians and divide from each other, when really the scriptures are asking us to embrace the mystery of our faith, to enjoy it. Because if, if we serve a God that we can fully understand, that's just a God in our own making. That's a God of our own def definition. And so we have to embrace mystery and we have to embrace that he is going to be represented by these things. He is not, the he is not fully represented by any one thing in creation. Now, let's talk about the rainbow. The rainbow, it says here, uh, that had an appearance of an emerald. And notice that around the throne was a rainbow. Now, Bible question, Chris, for you. 
In the Bible, when was the last time we heard Noah? Yes. Yeah. Rainbow mentioned yeah. in the story of Noah. So let's go to the whiteboard. I want to show you something. Cool. The whiteboard. The whiteboard. Welcome to the whiteboard. The flannel graph has magically disappeared. That's how we roll here on the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michael, for moving it. All right. Now think about this for a second, because here's what we have in Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, we have Noah. And this is very interesting because Noah, uh, Genesis chapter 6, there is a flood. Mm. And the flood, is, uh, the flood is God's judgment. Sorry for my writing, everybody. The flood is God's judgment over mankind. And through the flood, God wipes out mankind. Uh, and, and if you follow the trajectory of Scripture, the wickedness of mankind, the morality, if you will, of mankind is just on the decline to this point where irredeemable, God can't do anything with him. So he raises up Noah, saves Noah through an ark and a flood. And then after the flood, what? Uh, rainbow appears. Rainbow appears, right. So we've got the rainbow. Let me just see if I can draw a nice rainbow here. Yeah, All right. Not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. Okay. There's a pot of gold. And the rainbow is the symbol that, for, that God says, I will never judge the earth like this again. Mm-hmm. All right, then think about this now. In Revelation chapter, where are we? Revelation chapter 4. We've got the throne um, up in heaven here. Okay, this is my throne real quick. Uh, and we have another um, rainbow around the throne. So if I put another rainbow over here real quick, real quick. And guess what happens from here on out in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 6? Guess what happens again? Judgment. Jud- right. Uh, J-U-D. G-M-E-N-T. Is that right? Yeah. Judgment. So there's judgment from the rainbow forward. Mm. And you've got up in, in the beginning of the narrative of Scripture, you've got judgment uh, from the rainbow. So between these two rainbows, check this out. This is where we are right now. Between these two rainbows, we've got the age of grace. We've got the age of redemption. we got the age in which Jesus Christ, through his cross, is bringing all men into salvation. And the rainbow, this is so cool how Scripture picks up on this, the rainbow brackets the judgment of God. Different kind of judgment. Over here, flood. Over here, all kinds of stuff. We're going to get into that in a couple of weeks. But I'm telling you, it's just an amazing thing how Scripture comes together from Genesis right through Revelation. This is where we are right now. A lot of people don't like to think about God as a God of judgment, but he's a God of judgment. He's a God of righteous judgment, and he will not tolerate uh, willful rejection of him forever. There is coming a judgment. You are on this side of that rainbow. Uh, You are on the left of this rainbow coming. You are on this side of the rainbow in the past, and here's where you are. Receive the mercy of God. I just think that's a yeah. pretty cool picture of how Bible's booked bookend by together. two rainbows. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. Okay, so God is merciful right now. Listen to his mercy, receive his mercy, listen to his voice and repent and turn to him uh, because judgment is coming and that's where we're going to get to in the book of Revelation. All right, lots of other things that happen in heaven. Check out this uh, verse here in uh, verse 4, Revelation 24 elders. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Okay, the big question here is who are the 24 elders? A lot of lot of debate over the church, uh, over the history of the church as to who these people are. Um, lots of theories. Okay, theory number one is the twelve apostles plus the twelve sons of Jacob. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has twelve sons, and those twelve sons have children of their own and families, and then they become tribes, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel, and they kind of represent uh, God's people, 12 tribes represent God's people in the ancient world, and then Jesus comes along, and what does he do? He doesn't pick four disciples, he doesn't pick eight, he doesn't pick ten, he picks 12, and then Judas, of course, kills himself, they... Uh, in Acts chapter 1, they pick a guy by the name of Matthias to replace him, although there's some debate in the church that that might be the Apostle Paul, ultimately, whom God right. chooses to replace Judas. doesn't really matter what there was. There was 12 disciples or 12 apostles of Jesus. So that's the one idea. And so the 12 apostles and the 12 uh, tribal leaders of Israel, the 24 elders. The problem with that is that John is watching this, and guess who John is? 
one of the disciples. <laughs> He's one of the 12 disciples. Yeah. So is he watching himself? Is that an apparition of himself sitting on the yeah, throne? You know, a little weird. A little bit weird, right? Yeah. We don't know what that is. And so that's an idea. It kind of falls on a merits on the merits there. Uh, some people say is the 24 courses of priests mentioned in the Old Testament because in 1 Chronicles 9.24, there were 24 schools of priests, if you will. And that's basically just a symbol of God's worship or, or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Here's here's what I think you need to realize about this. Scripture is deliberately vague as to who these guys are for a reason. We're not supposed to know who they are. We're supposed to watch what they do. Yeah, that's good. And yeah, that is good because what they what they do is they worship the Father. They worship the Father. And so um, I I do think about this though is that they do represent the body of Christ, the body of God's people. Yeah, and. So consider this. How many hours are there in a day? 24. 24. Yeah. But what do we do with those 24 hours? We sleep for half of them? No, we divide them into two. Right, right. Two sets of 12. Day and night. Yeah. You got the 12 a.m. and the 12 p.m. section. And so I think about this. Like 12 in the Bible represents God's number of government. The 12 tribes, 12 apostles, the 12 tribes governed God's people in the old covenant. The 12 apostles governed God's people in the new covenant. Jesus said to his apostles that you're going to sit on the 12 thrones and you're going to judge the tribes of Israel. Mm. And so they're the fulfillment of the 12 tribes. The 12, the, the, the number 12 represents God's government. Think about our days. Our days are governed by two sets of 12 hours. Mm. And so the number 12 represents the government of God. The government of God is around his throne and they are um, watching over his people uh, and they are worshiping him. And uh, in a little bit, you'll see how they worship him. But this is the idea that Revelation is trying to get across to us is that God is ultimately in control of the government. Remember that old text in the in the book of Isaiah, that Old Testament text in the book of Isaiah. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Uh, God's got his new covenant people, his old covenant people, and they all come together through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, many Jews came to Jesus. In fact, first 10 years of Christianity, it was all Jews. Right. It wasn't any Gentiles for the first 10 years of Christianity. So don't, don't get mixed up about, well, what about Jews and what about Christians? They're all coming to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The believing Jews in the Old Testament looked forward to him. The believing Jews and Gentiles in the New Testament look back to him, trust in him. We come around the throne. And so these 24 elders, here's how I see them. They represent us. They represent God's people on the face of the earth. Okay. Verse five, it says this, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay. Whenever the scripture talks about uh, thunder and lightning and rumblings of thunder, flashes of lightning, rumblings of thunder. This is supposed to draw our attention backwards. A lot of revelation, and I said this, I think, in week two of this talk, of this series, a lot of revelation is asking us to look back over the record of Scripture and see it kind of pan out before God in the heavens. Uh, and so we've got these um, rumblings of thunder, flashes of lightning. This is what happens at Mount Sinai when God gives the people the law and when God kind of reveals himself at the mountain and the people see God's presence on the mountain in, the th- in thick darkness and the thick cloud and they are awestruck by it and they are so awestruck they beg for Moses to go up and talk to God on their behalf. It's actually kind of funny passage of scripture because they're like, God wants to talk to us? Mm, no thanks, Moses, you go talk to him. <laughs> it doesn't look like he's that happy. You know, so this is the, but it is supposed to draw our attention to the fact that God is holy. God is awesome. God is glorious and and then um, it's also supposed to point to that his judgment is coming and that you think about the judgment of God uh, is an awesome thing. We take too lightly in America the idea of God. We take too lightly in America the idea that, that Jesus is holy and righteous. He is. He is perfectly holy and perfectly righteous. Does he love sinners? Yes. Does he hate sin? Yes, uh, he is both. I mean, this is something that we don't pick up on in America today. We don't like the judgment of God, but there is going to be a judgment. And for anybody who says, I don't like to believe in a God of judgment, I mean, have you have you heard of rapists? 
have, you, have you heard of pornographers, sex traffickers, these people who you know enslave twelve-year-old girls in Africa in the sex trade? Uh, abortionists, you know the where's the justice? The, 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 the justice it demand our world demands justice, yeah. and let's we're talking about large scale sinners. Let's talk about small scale sinners. The the person who rips you off in a business deal and knows that they're doing it right. Mm -hmm. The the father who cheats on your mother and leaves you and then you never see him again. There's got to be justice. Mm -hmm. There's got to be judgment. I, I would despair if there wasn't the perfect righteous judgment of God. And yeah. and you know there's a there's another teaching in in Christianity and I hate this teaching. It's called annihilationism. Uh, and what that means is that if you're not in Christ, you don't go to hell and burn forever. That sounds too terrible. You just get annihilated. You cease to exist. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I really have a problem with Christians who buy into this it's line. like you get away with it, though. Because, yeah, there has to be yeah. righteous judgment upon the wicked. Yeah. At least punish them for a good amount of time. Well, what I'm thinking, yeah. what I think, personally, I do think that there is a conditional level of hell, which means and Jesus talks about this in Luke, that some people will be punished with few blows mm. who did not know the master's business, and some people will be judged with many blows. Um, he also talks about how the darkest circle of the darkest place of earth is reserved for the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the Sadducees who bound up men and women under their unjust legalistic system. And or uh, uh, Peter talks about that the people who mislead others and and get money out of built them out of money in the name of Jesus they in the name of Christian faith and they're false teachers and they're liars and they're and they're fornicators and they take advantage of the weakest and the most vulnerable uh, he says widows and orphans he takes care he takes those people take advantage of them and he says the darkest blackness is reserved for them so there's definitely judgment there's definitely levels yeah. of judgment in hell. But what I'm trying to tell you is there's no escaping the reality of God's perfect, righteous judgment that is coming upon the earth. And I think that's not something to fear if you're in Christ. It is something to kind of give you um, reprieve, a, a sense of, okay, God's, sure. God's got this. You might want to lash out at that person that hurt you. You might want to take right. you know, vengeance. You might want to get them back. And that is just... That is because you're fleshly, because you're human, but this also betraying the reality that you know judgment needs to come, right? You know justice needs to come. All you need to do is be ripped off to say, to, to immediately feel sure. the need for justice yeah. in our world. You ever have somebody just like oh, totally yeah. thinking about it? Oh, and immediately many times, you're like, yeah. oh man, they need to get. And so what is that? That's again, that residue um, common grace resident in all of us that says there's got to be a payment for this. This has to be made up for. Thank you, Jesus. He's going to be, again, the perfect, righteous, untainted, holy judge of all the earth. And that's good, that's good news for you, Christian, because guess what that means for you? You don't have to be. Right. You don't have to be the judge of the person who you can't stand or who hurt you or whatever. God will take care of that. You serve Christ. All right. Seven spirits of God. We talked about that earlier. That's in Isaiah chapter 11. He says the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. Seven, seven spirits of the Lord. That's what they are. Again, I'll read them again. Spirit of the Lord, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. And that's the seven spirits uh, of the Lord that are around the throne. Let's go further into Revelation chapter four and talk about four living creatures. So here's what it says in chapter uh, in verse six. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And we'll pick up the rest in the next passage. Who are these people? Because <laughs> they look like monsters right well what i what i love it it's obvious he has to use the word like so it's something he can't quite describe until right. he gets to man and he's like that's obviously a man um but yeah those are some funky it's funky imagery yeah. and that's why i say you've got to learn to read scripture rightly especially when it comes yeah. to revelation imagery is everywhere the reason why it's there is to draw your eyes to the realities those images represent and so just like mm. those three stones, carnelian, jasper, and emerald represent who God the Father is, so too these images of these four living creatures represent, uh, I'm just going to give you the answer right now, angels. 
That's who they represent. Yeah. So did you know that there are two um, orders of angels in heaven? This is interesting. Okay. He describes what I believe are seraphim mm. here in Revelation chapter 4. In Ezekiel chapter 1, very similar creatures are described, but they don't have six wings. They have four wings. In Isaiah chapter 6, great passage of scripture, Isaiah comes to the temple of the Lord. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple, and there's smoke, and there's thunders, and, there's, and the threshold yeah. shakes. And then he sees what? He sees the seraphim who are flying over him with one, two, three, four, five, six wings, two cover their eyes, two cover their uh, feet, and with two they flew. And so those are seraphim, six-winged angels, seraphim, four-winged angels, cherubim. Just in case it's a Jeopardy question, people. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. But what you need to understand, though, is that these seraphim have a specific calling. They have a specific job in heaven. And their job here is to represent uh, God's work on the earth. And this is important for us to understand. As much as God is bringing judgment, guess what God is doing right now through the work of his angels, the seraphim? He's overseeing the affairs of the earth. He's watching over how the earth ebbs and flows. And I, I think that we have to learn how to take great comfort in this. You know, we Protestants, because of, I think, the Catholic overemphasis on angels and saints, we kind of do ourselves away. a disservice. Yeah. yeah, we shy away from angels. They're real. Yeah, I pray for angels to surround my children all the time. Yeah, I pray for angels to surround this church all the time. I pray for angels to surround my body all the time. I remember that there was a time when I was driving in a heavy rainstorm, really too fast. Yeah, uh, I think I shared this with the church one day. Uh, too fast in my car hydroplaned and it was in heavy traffic on Route 95 and I literally did a 180 in heavy traffic, mm -hmm. spun around like two or three other cars. I ran into the guardrail, the divider guardrail between the other the, the northbound lanes, hit that head on and my car turned another 90 degrees so that it was facing on the berm next to the guardrail facing the other way of traffic. Yep. And... <laughs> I just I think back to that moment and I'm like, Had thank you, yeah. angels of God. I had something very similar happened in the snow and I know I know there was a hand in it. I just know. Yeah, and I wasn't saved then, but I just know. But now yeah. you are saved and you can and see I why it was there. I look back and I know. I just know. And yeah. and so I just I mean I share this with you and I think that we have to see this in Revelation four because judgment's coming. Right. And I said to you last time on the deep end, I don't think the church escapes the tribulation. I think that the church is protected in the in, in the tribulation. Mm -hmm. And going back to Noah, like let's go back to Noah, because think about this. The judgment of God came upon the earth. Noah was protected, but wasn't taken out. Yeah. He was protected by what? The uh, ark. The ark, yeah. Right. Now think about the ark, the dimensions of the ark. Mm -hmm. If you look at the ark proportionately by its dimensions, it's about the same dimensions as a man. It is. It's about the same dimensions of a man's body. The width, the height, and the length right. of, the, okay. of the ark is really a mall. If you look at it, yeah. right? And then it also says that there was a door right placed in the side of the ark like the where, rib where is yep. jesus where is jesus pierced on the cross i've heard you said that oh on the, the, rib, the rib the side he's pierced on the side okay and so that that piercing becomes our in the blood and the water flows that piercing becomes our door of safety into the family of god and god in christ through christ protects his church in the midst of the tribulation so Relax, everybody who got upset with me saying you're going to be in the tribulation. It's going to be okay. The good news is the angels of God are watching over us. And this is why it says eyes full of eyes there in verse six, full of eyes in front and behind. It's a description. The angels know what's up. They, they're not going to be caught off guard. They know what's going on. You ever have a mom say, I have eyes in the back of my head? Sure, right? yeah. You know, that's, that's because they know what's up. Well, that's what the angels are. The angels are guarding us, guiding us, protecting us, watching out for us. Okay, what's the deal, though, with the face of the lion, the face of the ox, uh, or sorry, like the lion, like the ox, like the man, like the eagle? Well, what I think this actually refers to is the um, the, uh, the the characteristics of heaven as depicted in the angelic work. Lion uh, represents no nobility. Uh, ox represents strength. Uh, man represents God's wisest 
creature, most mm-hmm. intellectual cre- creature, and the eagle represents swiftness. And so even the wings speak to their swiftness, their ability to move quickly. Angels are intimidating. Please get out of your mind the idea that these angels are little naked little boys with little arrows, <laughs> you know, those cherubs. Like, no, that they are mighty, powerful creatures, and it says that they are living mm-hmm. creatures. The word living there is important because it describes the fact that they never stop. They're alive. They don't rest. This is another thing about angels. They don't have a Sabbath. We have a Sabbath. Mankind has a Sabbath. Angels do not rest. They are always at work. They are always protecting. They are always watching over God's people. Friend, don't be alarmed at what's happening around you in your world. If you are in Christ, you are first off, you are protected in the ark of the true ark of safety that is Christ Jesus as a member of his body. And secondly, you are watched out for by noble, strong, wise, and swift angels. Wow, that's comforting. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. I'm preaching now. Amen. And, <laughs> and, re- and just really quick, it's another misconception. A lot of people think that we, because of the holiday movie too that's coming out, that we become angels. Yeah, that is it's another. Line. Well, yeah, it's a bit of a misconception. Jesus okay. does say that we become as angels, right? Like or as. But in but. the definition, there he's saying in just that we don't marry or give in marriage. So in the next life, you know, none, none of us get married. Uh, we're like the angels in heaven. But it, it's not like we earn our wings, like the Christmas movie says. No, it's or not we like become, that. At all. Okay, right. It's not. Uh, what's that? George. What's his name? Yeah. Um, oh, you know what yeah, is his name? Yeah, yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. George. The movie House. These guys are too young. Huh? George Bailey. George, George Bailey. Bailey. Thank Good. you. Thank you, Bria. Bria. She's on it. Okay. So angels are protecting you. Angels are watching out for you. Okay. So we've talked so far. What's in heaven? Throne. What's in heaven? Living, uh, 24 elders representing the body of Christ the, or, or the, the old and new covenant people of God. Um, the four living creatures. Guess what? We got something else happening in heaven. This is very important. Don't miss this. Worship. Worship is the activity of heaven. I want to say that again so that you hear it. Worship is the activity of heaven. The book of Revelation, some people don't get this. And I, I'm so glad we're going through this book because when we think about the book of Revelation, most people think only about God's timetable for the end times. When are things going to happen? When's the war? When's the dictator beast? Who is he? Which politician is the dictator beast? Which politician is the antichrist? <laughs> you know, that's not the theme. Like That's a very small point in Revelation. The book of Revelation is filled, though, with songs of worship to God. Mm. What happens in spite of all the hell that God unleashes in judgment upon the wicked is this, that his people praise him. His people enter into the activity of heaven. And the emphasis on praise runs from the very beginning of Revelation right through to the end. And I got to remind you that Revelation is written in the first century to Christians who were suffering, being fed to lions, being burned at the stake, being uh, nailed to crosses, being persecuted, chased out of town, losing their legal rights, losing their property rights, losing their children, losing their parents. And what is the thing that they enter into in spite of what they're going through? The answer is worship. Yeah, Worship will get you through, friend. It will get you through trouble. It will get you through persecution. Some of you are going through stuff right now. You just wish, man, I wish God would take me out of it. You, you don't need to pray that. Here's what, you do need, here's what you do need to do. You need to worship through it. You need to praise God through it because that's what's happening in heaven. So here's what it says in verse 8. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then uh, it goes on in verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, look at this, the, 20, the 24 elders. So the angels lead in worship. And notice that verse 10, and the 24 elders representing again God's people, old and new covenant people, the 24 elders fall down and worship him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they, were, they existed and were created. Worship. Mm. Like this is the activity of heaven. And I just want to go over a couple of points about worship. You are made to worship. You might not even believe this, but you are. Yeah. All right. Um, worship is an enjoyable event. 
Okay, people freak out about worship in church. I don't get it. Why do you get? Why do you freak out about worship in church? Because there's worship everywhere. Everywhere. I want you to think about the culture. I want you to think about just mankind's natural tendency. We have been doing this since the dawn of time. We have been gathering together in huge gatherings and worshiping things, yep. worshiping people, worshiping whatever you want to say, worshiping actors. We're, we're coming up to Hollywood uh, award season. Award season. Yeah. It's just a worship fest. Yeah. That's all it is, right? Um, every Sunday in America, uh, <laughs> how Tom many? Brady. 16 stadiums <laughs> seating 67,000 people are filled with people. And have you ever gone to an NFL game? They're worshiping men who are wearing spandex. Yeah. Where else in the world <laughs> do you find men like celebrating Roman other Coliseum, men? Yeah. You know, worship. I mean, in the in the days of uh, William Shakespeare, they were worshiping dudes playing women yeah. on stage, right? Uh, today, we worship dudes wearing spandex on a field. And have you ever gone to a game? You ever oh, see yeah. like on TV? It looks so huge. Oh, yeah. I was at the game last week, actually, okay. in Minnesota. And it looks so huge on TV. You go to the stadium. It's tiny. Yeah, all it's condensed like, in. And some of the plays, like like Tom Brady will throw like a five-yard pass. It go, a little blip. It's a little blip. Yeah. It's like this far in your field of vision. <laughs> on TV, the, it looks so big, the right? Crowd, but the crowd goes crazy. Mm. It's like literally like, I, I wish I could demonstrate this. I don't know if I have. Yeah. Okay, wait, wait. Watch this. All right, like, like, just ready, catch this. <sighs> that's, that's what it's like. Sure. And it's like literally a, a, a foot or a yard gets gained and the crowd goes nuts. Why? Because we are made to worship. Right. We are made to celebrate something. And if we won't celebrate and worship God, we will try to scratch that internal itch for worship with something as silly as a ball moving five feet away from someone to someone else. And so I just true. think your own personal heart, your own personal inhibitions, that it betrays the reality that you are made to worship. You are made, and by the way, you are made to gather together, just like we do with NFL games. You're made to gather together. You are made to celebrate victory. You are made to sing and shout because those people sing and shout. Oh, yeah. And you are made to do this, and it brings joy to your heart. I mean, I'm not against celebrating the Patriots. Go ahead, have at it. But why do you enjoy that? Think about it really and think about why do I enjoy things like that? Maybe football is not your thing. Why do you stand and clap for a good movie? Why do you go to Broadway plays and yeah. stand and clap? Why do you, all the things that we stand and clap for and we sing for and we celebrate together because we're made to worship? Mm. Guess what? That's what heaven is. Heaven is a worship experience. And I'm going to tell you this about the worship of heaven. There's no joy in worship like the joy you get in worshiping God. There's just no joy yeah. like it. Like I have celebrated other things in my life. I have gathered in big gatherings and celebrated. But when I come in to the gathering of God's people in my church and I sing and I just enjoy God there is something really wonderful about that oh, that nothing true. else in the world can compare to. Okay, I was thinking about this, and it got me thinking about jo uh, Eugene Peterson, who recently passed away. He is the guy who translated the Bible into the message translation. Um, I'm thankful for Eugene Peterson, but he talks about worship, and here's what he says. Look at this quote, fantastic quote. Failure to, failure to worship consigns us to a life of spasms and jerks at the mercy of every... <laughs> advertisement jerks being the internal reaction not okay. people jerks okay listen let me read the quote again i'm sorry i'm just humorous failure to worship consigns us to a life of spasms and jerks at the mercy of every advertisement every seduction every siren without worship we live manipulated and manipulating lives we move in either frightened panic or deluded lethargy as we are in turn alarmed by uh, specters and soothed by placebos if there is no center, there is no circumference. People who do not worship are swept into a vast restlessness epidemic in the world with no steady direction and no sustaining purpose. Mm. Wow. Yeah. What is heaven? Heaven is the temple of God. Important thing, because I'm going to close out with a question that came in for the deep end, although it's a question about our weekend experience here at Water Church, but I'll, I'll answer it here on the deep end. I want you to notice from the book of Revelation, there's all kinds of temple imagery in the book of Revelation in heaven. 
The lampstand, Revelation chapter 1 or chapter 4. Priestly dress, Revelation chapter 15. The ark of testimony shows up again. Silent for thousands of years, it shows up again. Where does it show up? Revelation chapter 11, in heaven. Cherubim and seraphim, they show up in heaven, in Revelation. The incense altar, the censers, Revelation chapter 5. Altar of sacrifice, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Worship, Revelation chapter 4. What is heaven? Heaven is the temple of God. And the temple that God gave Moses, you have to remember this, was designed exactly like the temple in heaven. Right. People don't understand this. What we see described in Exodus as the earthly temple was to be a representation of the heavenly realities. Okay, question time. I tell you guys to send in questions to the deep end all the time. We got a question. Okay, not pertaining to the deep end per se, but actually does apply to where we are right now with heaven. Here's the question that came in from one of our listeners or watchers. Touch me not Mary, touch me Thomas. Pastor, that's me, suggested Thomas was able to touch him because Christ ascended to the Father and now had a glorified body. Can you back this up with scripture, please? Okay, I would be glad to. You have to harmonize the Gospels. And what I mean by that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four separate accounts of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. You, When you harmonize them, you see things that you don't see if you just read one of them. Okay? Right. And what I'm talking about is on a couple of weeks ago in the weekend experience, I said, when Jesus rose from the grave, Okay, he had finished the act of sacrificing himself for our sins. He is the final sacrifice. And he doesn't bring his blood to the corrupted temple on earth because it's corrupted, right? right? Just a couple of days ago, he had cast out the money changers and, the, and, the, and, the, and all the people who are stealing and fleecing the people. So he can't go there. On the morning of the resurrection, John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus says to Mary, this is the morning of the resurrection, don't cling to me. Better word translation, haptu in Greek, is touch. So he literally says, don't touch me. Mm. And the King James Version actually has that, touch me not. Okay, so he says, don't touch me. Why? Because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. Many people think that means when he ascends in, at the end of Matthew. No, that's not what he's talking about. Right. He's about to ascend right here. That's why he says to Mary, don't touch me. I have the perfect sacrifice. If you touch me, you taint the sacrifice. Right. So then he goes up to heaven. He comes back down. He meets with the disciples behind closed doors and again, harmonize the Gospels. Luke's Gospel of the same moment Recorded also in John's gospel, but we see something else that Luke records that John doesn't record when he gathers with the disciples behind closed doors that evening. This is the evening of the resurrection, Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said, peace to you. Okay, that also, that peace to you line is in John chapter 20, Mm -hmm. but John doesn't record what happens here. Luke does, verse 37. They were frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why are your doubts in your hearts? See my hands and feet that is I myself touch me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Touch me now. So don't touch me in the morning, Mary. I'm about to ascend to the Father and present, listen, at the heavenly temple, before the throne, the perfect final offering for sins. If you touch me, it's tainted. (laughs) I bring it clean to the Father. Then when it's offered, I come back and now you can touch me and you can see that I'm not an apparition. I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. Touch me now. And the person says, why is Thomas able to touch him and not Mary? It's not Thomas. You're mixing up the passages. It's all the disciples he says it to in Luke chapter 24. Now you can touch me here. Uh, Touch me at this moment because I have ascended and now he is your father and now he is your God. I have brought you back to him. That is so cool. Yeah, I just think it's so cool. Yeah. Why do I share all that? Because this is what Revelation is showing us. Revelation is showing us what happens in heaven, what's in heaven, what is the reality of heaven. And so why does that matter for us today? Because I believe when we enter into worship, we bring heaven to earth. I believe when we testify to Christ's death, burial, resurrection, we bring the reality of heaven into earth. Remember Jesus told us, don't, don't be praying, God, get me out of earth. He said, pray it like this. Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And others be in the business of bringing heaven down to earth. And that's what Revelation helps us do in spite of what we go through, in yeah. spite of the trouble, in spite of what we see uh, on the flannel graph of, <laughs> of the, what's below the throne. And so, so far in Revelation, let's just wrap this up. I uh, want to build a case for tuning in next week. We've talked about the seven churches. 
Then we talked about the throne in heaven. That's what we are right now. That's where we are right now. And then coming soon to a deep end episode near you, the judgments of God. But there's something in between that's very important. We'll talk about that next week on the deep end. Join us. If you have a question, if you have a thought, I'd love to hear your questions. I love to answer questions. 508-316-9333. Please let us know. And also, facebook.com slash the deep end TV. Lots of you on Waters Church TV, uh, Facebook have not yet liked the page. Like the page. Facebook.com slash the deep end TV. Like the page. Like the page. Like the page. Can't say it enough. Like the page. Because when you like the page, then you get a notification when we are live and you won't miss the deep end. Uh, YouTube.com slash Waters Church. Check out the deep end channel there or go to the deep end.tv. That's the easiest way to find all the outlets of the Deep End Podcast. So, Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Hope you have a safe and happy holiday season. Don't spend too much. We'll see you next week on The Deep End.